When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. CJ, we have entered the mid-July point. And I got to say, not a lot going on uh, beyond free agency and stuff. And uh, we are settling into summer mode. So we're going to take a little bit of a break after today. I'm okay with that. I've got to pay a fine too today. The, the- a fine? Viewers and listeners must know I was horribly late for the recording of today's show. Like, this is episode 89. This is the, the latest I've been for scheduled reporting out of 89 episodes. So I owe an apology to producer Nick and Julian, who I've wasted some of their, their July morning here. Uh, you have nothing to apologize to me for. Uh, it's, it's, nothing, it's not a big deal. Um, I'm sure producer Nick feels the same. Um, but thank you, I guess. Uh, I'll tell I'll tell you this much. Um, I don't bl- look. I'm chilling. I am ready for like just the rest of this month to come in and then to just continue just hanging out and just not thinking about hockey, not thinking about sports. So I wasn't even really tripping that you were late. I was just like, man, like I'm a little surprised you even have a voice because I saw your social content from that Rage concert on the weekend, and I, I expected you to show up for the show and with no ability to speak. Nah, 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 nah. I had to come through because, um, well, I went on the Friday night and then on the Saturday, uh, I drove back to Ottawa on the Sunday. I had to be back home because, uh, my church that I go to union United church, we had our scholarship Sunday and we had to, uh, give out some scholarships and bursaries to uh, young youth who were going to universities and, and CJEPs and all that. We were giving them scholarships. So I had to be on my best behavior for that. So that's why my voice is back. That's good. I mean, yeah. were you doing like the tea, the honey? How did you how did you maintain those vocal cords? A lot of water, uh, <laughs> a lot of hydration, a lot of a lot of food, you know, just to keep myself going. Uh, yeah, right. I didn't go too crazy. And I think I didn't I didn't sing along to every song, too. So like that also helped as well that like because normally like I'll go in on every song if it's a band I really like. But Rage Against the Machine, like I really like them. But I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I could use my energy in different ways. Very wise, wise beyond your years. So, so you're a big, you're a big rager yourself, right? You're, a, I showed you like the, like a video from the concert. You're like 18 year old me would be super jealous. Oh yeah. I mean, when definitely late high school, early moving to Toronto for university times, I listened to a ton of Rage Against the Machine. I never actually saw them in concert, but that was that was my jam and my speed. I, I have to be honest. There's not a band. It's not like they're on my regular playlist now, but if, if I had known they were in Ottawa or if it would have been more convenient for me to go there, I, like I would absolutely have gone to that concert and probably loved every second of it. I'm trying to think if, because they were in Quebec city over the weekend after Ottawa, I saw some shirt that said there were supposed to be tour dates in Toronto and Hamilton, but I don't remember if those already happened or if they're coming. So there may be a chance for you to, if you're not, if you're still going to be the country, uh, to for you to, uh, you know, relive your teenage days. Yeah, well, that's a great thing about music, right? Is you, you find a song or a band, whatever it is, and it can take you back to a moment in time. Like that's that's that kind of band for me. Uh, something my buddies and I would listen to when we were at that that kind of age where I spent a ton of time with my buddies. And yeah, what a great band! It looked like a 
great time. It looked like there was actually a few people I knew at that show, like random people. JD Bunkus was down there. Yes. Who I used to work with at Sportsnet back in the day. He looked like he was right in the middle of all the action up near the front by the stage. Um, pretty cool. You think Ottawa Blues Fest, you think it's going to be like, you know, all Sarah McLaughlin or something, but there's, they, <laughs> I know she was playing. I try to think of who the other acts were, but uh, you know, it looks like they get a pretty good lineup there. I'm going to have to keep this in mind for future Julys. I think the day after, uh, the day I was there, they're supposed to be Bone Thugs and Harmony, TLC, and Ja Rule. None of those three are blues people. <laughs> None of those three are blues people necessarily. Uh, but yeah, it seems like they had a very varied list of of artists, and and that was my first time at Blues Fest, and yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. It was it was really nice. It was uh, a little bit of a weird thing with the line getting in and all that, but like when it came time for watching Rage and Run the Jewels, I got to shout out Run the Jewels as well. They were excellent. I thought it was a really great day. Really worth the drive, the two hour drive for me uh, from Montreal, Ottawa. Right, and it's at Le Breton Flats there, right, where the Senators want yes. to build a new arena. So maybe in the future they're going to have to find a new venue when the Senators finally get that arena built uh, on that that space. Absolutely. How was your weekend? A lot about my weekend. Did you have a good weekend at least? Yeah, I finally am coming down from last week, right? Like getting through free agency, you know, the first day. It's amazing how quickly it, it trickles to basically a stop. Like you have over $900 million in contracts given out on day one of free agency. By Sunday, day five or day six, whatever that would be, it was at $7 million. Like, basically, all the money gets spent <laughs> sort of like a Boxing Day sale, right? Everyone everyone spends all their money on Boxing Day, and by January 1st, you know, stores aren't doing any business. That's how it is for free agents. And so, for the few remaining guys out there, you know, I know there's a couple big names. We don't need to worry about them. They're going to get sorted. But, you know, there's a lot of people in that sort of mid-tier, maybe even bottom tier of leagues where – this is becomes an uncomfortable time because there's not a lot of cap space or dollars out there to, for them to, to grab a hold of and find uh, where they're going to play next season. So the big board, CJ's big UFA big board, uh, do we keep the name big board? Do we use something else like bargain board, considering where some of the names are uh, near the bottom, like a Phil Kessel or, or a PK Subban, it could probably be had on the cheap. That's how I view it. I mean, on that list of top 15 free agents, you have guys that are fourth line players. So I mean, we're not talking about the free agency we had last Wednesday where you could go 30 deep and, and you're really dealing with either top goaltenders, top two-line players, and, and even top four defensemen. So it, it, uh, it it's more of a bargain board than a big board. But, uh, you know, there's still some interesting names out there. And, and, you know, honestly, some people on that list might end up being what we view as, as the best players signed during this period because I'm sure a few of them are going to come in below maybe their, their actual market value. And, uh, you know, still be, you know, big contributors to a team next season. All right. So we can get to that on the other side. If you can bet that with David Basta, we'll bring him in. Uh, remember, uh, if you're playing sports interaction, always 19 and over if you're playing and play responsibly, there will be a link to responsible gaming strategies in the description of this show. If you go on the North Star Bets website right now, you will find yet another edition of the CJ Big Board available, uh, or as we've called it now, the Bargain Board. The Bargain Board, rebranded just for this last installment. Yeah. As of this recording, Nazem Kadri is atop the list. Uh, John Klingberg is second, Patrice Bergeron is third, Nino Niederreiter fourth, Phil Kessel is there at five, David Krejci is there at six, Paul Staxney is also in the top 10, Evan Rodriguez. Sonny Milano, Danton Heinen. You can kind of tell where the quality of, of players and names kind of falls off in that top deck. Well, you go from a guy like Kadri, who was going to get, what, $7 million, maybe even north of that. We'll see where he falls. Down to some of those players are going to sign contracts for less than $2 million a year. So that's that's the that just shows you the, the, the quality drop-off. It's no disrespect to the $2 million players. Lots of good teams need those players to, to win a Stanley Cup or to to, to – you know, be part of their team, but the, we've lost kind of the the star power. I mean, frankly, almost everybody in, in what we did the top 30 a day before the free agency dropped, you know, almost all those players signed on the first day. And so Kadri and John Klingberg to me jump out as the two maybe biggest surprises not to have found uh, new homes at this point. I think Nino Niederreiter's in a similar type of case, although he's he's another tier below you know, what's, you know, with, with Bergeron and, and Krejci and these other players, I think that there's some specific circumstances there just around their own decisions to come back that, that have dictated this, but, you know, Kadri 
I think was one or two pretty much every time I did this. And so for him not to be signed, you know, almost a week into free agency is, is you know, I, I'd say a bit of a surprise. So where does a guy like Nazem Kadri go? I thought Detroit would have made sense, but they get Andrew Cobb. The Rangers could have made sense. They get Vinny Trocek. You mentioned Anaheim could have been a destination. They ended up signing Ryan Strong. Is it Colorado or is there someone else who could t- who could get him? You know, I think Calgary's at least kicked tires there. But, you know, the, the, the Flames, despite not, you know, getting Johnny Goodrow back, don't have unlimited cap space. And, and you know, Kadri already did turn down a trade there three years ago uh, from the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I'm not sure that they're a huge desired destination for him. I, I think the longer it goes, the more it points to a return to Colorado. Um, and, you know, that's not – that actually is probably a happy outcome for Nazem Kadri. I think that's what he sort of wanted all along. Um, but it was just unclear if they would be able to sort of get a contract in the range that, that he'd be happy with. You know, now I just, I don't see many, there's, there's not a lot of dance partners out there, you know, that the teams have either filled those spots with the guys you mentioned, or they've just spent money elsewhere and don't have the sort of dollars needed to, to bring in as of cadre. So there, there could be a surprise team out there, but I think more likely than not, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking at someone returning to the avalanche. And so you know, what needs to happen is Colorado needs to trade a player to, to create the cap space in order to make this happen. And so, you know, maybe it goes on a little bit longer while they try to negotiate that type of move. You know, they, they have the ability from a functional standpoint, they can actually sign them and be over the cap. Teams are allowed to be 10% over the cap in the summer. But, you know, that does maybe hamstring them in terms of making that deal and getting good value back. And so I think that's part of the dynamic I sense that's going on here. And, and, I suppose that the longer it goes on, maybe someone else enters a bidding, maybe someone else dumps a player and has creates a cap room needed. But I, w- I would say at this stage that he's most likely going to remain with the Avalanche, and I think he'll be happy with that. It's just about you know finding a compromise on on the the contract that works for both sides. Okay, so what about John Klingberg, who's number two on your list? What about his situation? It feels as if he's wanted out of Dallas for the longest while. Well, he did because I think attached to the contract, like in the season, there was a maybe a soft trade request, if not an outright trade request. But at, at that point, I think he was frustrated at the lack of, you know, discussion around an extension. Quite honestly, I still think there's a chance he ends, ends up back with the Stars now because, you know, I don't see the dance partners for him. You know, Carolina was a rumored destination. They went out and traded for Brent Burns. I mean, there's, they don't have a need for John Klingberg now. You know, I thought Seattle could be a team in on him. They, they signed Justin Schultz, who isn't maybe – at the level of John Klingberg, but, you know, he is a right shot defenseman, moves the puck, you know, does a lot of the same sort of thing skill set wise. And so, you know, that might have blocked off that door for Klingberg. You know, one thing he had been hoping for was to get a maximum length contract, seven years. I'm, I'm pretty confident now that that's, that's off the table. I, I just don't see – there's no bidding war going on. You know what I mean? For the same reasons. There's just not cap space. Those teams have gone in other directions. And, you know, at, at a certain point – Klingberg's camp re-engage with Dallas. So, you know, maybe after everything, he'll he'll sign another deal there and stay there. And I don't think for him that's the worst thing in the world either. He, he, he was a little bit offended maybe earlier in the season that they didn't prioritize him enough. But, you know, you got to bury those emotions when it gets to the business part of the of these this moment where you're making the decision. And it's still a place he likes to live. It's a team he likes to play on. And after testing the open market, maybe he ends right back where he started too. But Nino Niederreiter at four, the fact that he's still available, a guy who can put the puck in the net, that's pretty interesting to me. What's your read on, on Nino's situation? Yeah, it, you're going to sense the theme here because I think there's a world now where he ends up back in Carolina. I'll just, I'll, I'll cut to the theme. <laughs> but for him, it was, it was definitely a priority to test the open market. Like the, the Hurricanes wanted to engage with him earlier before free agency opened. And, and I think his camp sort of politely said, look, I just want to see what's out there for me, where the contracts might be. I mean, there's one thing about Carolina, and and I sung their praises on the last episode. Like, I I think that they are as well-run as any team, but they they don't overpay. They don't they're, – they're comfortable letting their guys go see the market. I mean, even Don Waddell, I don't know if you remember this, when the Minnesota GM job was opening, they let Don Waddell, as the GM of the Hurricanes, go interview in Minnesota to see what else was out there, and ultimately he stayed. But I think that they're comfortable – you know, letting their their people gauge the market. And if they don't find what they're looking for, bringing them back. And so that's that's what I think has happened here. Uh, but I'm with you. He's only 29 years old. So, you know, if as long as the term is not crazy, you're, you're, you're buying a comfortable part of his career. 
And he scored, what, 24 goals last year, back-to-back 20-goal seasons. Um, you know, he's a, a nice complimentary player, even at the high end of complimentary. Like, I think some teams could absolutely use him in the top six and be comfortable with him there. Um, but it hasn't materialized. And so we three of our biggest names on the board, I my conclusion is essentially they, they've got out in the market, either they just lost the game of musical chairs and teams have made other decisions or they haven't found what they were hoping to get and might decide that the grass is a greener and, and, and go back to where they, they were been all along. And so what a weird free agency year, even, even the fact that like of getting Malkin, Philip Forsberg, I mean, these always got very close to testing the market before ultimately staying where we thought they would be all along. I, I think you're seeing the effects of the cap squeeze. You know, it's, 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 we've seen some different dynamics at play around this free agency period. And I think that ultimately that may lead these players who are hoping for a bigger payday elsewhere that didn't materialize just might be like, Hey, do you know what? I was comfortable where I was. Let's make the best deal we can there and, and, and move on. Or they could be like Johnny Gaudreau and go to a completely different market like Columbus. Yeah. There was a lot of talk about that. I mean, look at, I defended Columbus as much as I, I felt last, last Thursday. Well-deserved. You know, some of the, the, the level of conversation around this is getting crazy. Like, you know, we have to respect players have rights. I mean, the way you and I, Julian, we can, I mean, I don't know if you have contracts at your jobs, but as long as you're within the bounds of your contracts, you have the right to go work somewhere else. If you want, it's no different here. It's just emotions are at play. I get, you know, fans can be mad. I get that. But some of the media coverage around Goudreau's decision to leave Calgary has been over the top. Now, I guess you might argue, why did he wait until the night before to, to make that decision. I think that that's, he used the time available to him. And, you know, I'm sure ideally the flames would have liked to know it on May 20th that he, he wasn't coming back, but you know, I, I truly believe, I don't think he strung them along. I think it took that long to make a decision. And, and I could tell you even last August where I made some job changes and I had a lot, sort of a lot of different balls in the air, you know, sometimes you need to go to, right to the end to be sure you're, you're comfortable with your own choice. And, and so of course, some feelings get hurt in that process a little bit, but you know, look, the guy did what was best for him and his family. That's that's good enough for me. Um, and you know, I think Calgary will be all right too in time. Like they, they they're going to have they're, they're going to have more flexibility and freedom now. Maybe maybe this this leads them to a good place too. But um, yeah, no one no one saw that Columbus thing coming. But the more I've thought about it, the more sense it makes for for Goodrow. And and let's all just move on. Yeah, you know, some people won't. I mean, did you see that? Uh, so there was a CBC anchor, I think his name is Andrew Brown, who said, uh, who made some snide comment about Johnny Gaudreau leaving for less money. Uh, he said, like, I'll be back on uh, tomorrow unless uh, some some get a better offer from money. a new station in Columbus. Yeah. And the well, new station, I think he said, unless I get an offer to take less money or something like that. And a station in Columbus, I believe Fox 28 Columbus actually picked him up on that and gave and offered this like check that just wrote like way less money on it. They did a great bit. See that I'm okay with even, even the original, I thought that was funny. It was delivered dryly. It wasn't, there's no, there's no personal aspect to it. You know, you can have fun with it. I just think some of the people are backstabbing the team. It's like, come on, these teams. and And this is not directed at the flames. It's just, the teams will do what's in their best interest when they have the chance. They'll trade players that don't want to be traded. They'll, you know, exert leverage where they have it. You know, Johnny Goodrow had leverage and he had he had the ability to make his decision. He had to play in the league for at least seven years before being able to get that leverage. You know, good on him in, in a sense. He's got to do what's best for him. Yeah, I think you have it right. You have to do what's best for, for yourself. I think Johnny Goudreau exercising his right as a free agent totally within his rights to do. I think Flames fans have every right to feel bad and sad about it because this was a player who played for them for a long time and it was a huge reason why they were successful, but they ultimately have to understand that he did ultimately what he felt was best for him. I think you can be sad about it as a Flames fan, but you don't need to get to a point where like the dude is backstabbing you. He's exercising his right. And you can boo him when he plays there. Like, like I'm all for that. Like, that's fine. Like that's, you've paid your money for the ticket. You've invested in the team. Like the, I'm not, I'm not scolding anyone. Just be like, oh, you should just be fine with this as a Flames fan. I'm even fine, and I, you know, I was in Long Island when John Tavares went back there the first time, and and 
it, it actually got borderline. It got on the edge of like, whether it was right, like people were throwing toy snakes on the ice and oh driving, driving over his, his Jersey in the parking lot and stuff like where they were tailgating. Like it, it probably got as close to the line to maybe being a little bit over, but even I was fine with that, but look what happened to the Islanders, right? It's not as predicted. Like they went and played in two conference finals after John Tavares left. And so that's kind of my view on, on the flames here is, is look, there's no clear path forward. They're facing a huge deadline July 22nd with Matthew Kachuk when he could take his qualifying offer or maybe try to extend him. Like, like, look, it, I realize that the immediate future of the franchise is up in the air, but this doesn't automatically doom them. Like, you, you just never know how these things are going to turn out. Like, one free agent in hockey doesn't have the same impact that they do in basketball. Uh, it doesn't mean that Columbus is all of a sudden going to surge to the playoffs next year, and it doesn't mean that Calgary is going to fall to the bottom of the league. So, that's that's kind of where I'm getting at. I just I don't think this has to get quite as personal with the media covering it. The fans do what you want, fans. I always say that. I mean, as long as you're within the bounds of respectability, you, you've you've earned the right to feel as you feel. Northstarbets.ca is where you can find all of the names listed on CJ's big board. And you mentioned Matthew Kachuk. I think now's a great time to transition over. Uh, to his situation as we go through some news and notes. Uh, he is not filing for, for arbitration. I believe he has a, there was like a qualifying offer of nine mil. Can you just explain this for, for fans who see this and they're wondering, well, what does that mean for Kachuk and his situation in Calgary? Right. So as of Sunday, there was a, a deadline where players could file for arbitration that were eligible. And, you know, most players tend to do that because it, it you know, it, it offers them the path towards a deal. Where some players won't do it is they, they, there's a couple of reasons. You know, one is, is the minute you file for arbitration, you're ineligible to sign an offer sheet anywhere else. So it removes that potential piece of leverage. You're also ineligible to sign your qualifying offer, um, you know, once you do that. Essentially, you're on the path where you either have to negotiate a deal with the team or you go to arbitration itself and the arbitrator, you know, awards what your salary is for the coming season. And so for someone like Johnny Goodger, or sorry, Matthew Kachuk, rather, his qualifying offer is $9 million. So I'm, I'm convinced a guess that he's comfortable. If that's his salary for next year, he's comfortable playing for that. So he didn't want to take himself away from that qualifying offer. You know, and he, maybe there's, there's a, you know, a, an offer sheet aspect to his, but, but probably not. I think it's more a sign that for him, if he takes that qualifying offer, that walks him straight to unrestricted free agency next year. He'll be 25 years old next summer and be, have the ability to, to choose the highest bidder or whatever team he wants to go play for. And so he was one of the players that declined, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois declined uh, to file for arbitration. I think similar, similar, you know, aspects at play there, but you know, it's more some, some lower down types of guys that, that go for arbitration because sometimes, you know, the team isn't willing to give them 3 million, but the arbitrator might, you know, be swayed into to thinking that kind of award is necessary. So, you know, that, that's sort of what's got on there. You know, there's also a deadline as we're recording today on Monday uh, for teams to elect for arbitration, which is always interesting. Sometimes a team chooses to take a player there. Um, but, you know, ultimately, whether a player files for ARB or not, it, each year it's only like two to three cases that ever get to the point where the arbitrator decides. I mean, in, in most of these cases, I think it was 24 guys who filed for arbitration. I bet 20 of them will sign a deal before the arbitrator ever has to make that award. And so really generally filing for arbitration, is, it's just a way to ensure you get your contract done and, and It'll be done here within the next three weeks or so. You mentioned the name Pierre-Luc Dubois. A lot of talk around him over these last few weeks uh, and with his future and the possibility that the Montreal Canadiens might be interested in him and Pierre-Luc Dubois might be interested in the Montreal Canadiens. I'd like to know your read on that entire situation. Well, look, he's got two years left of team control for Winnipeg. You know, I think the Jets have been open to exploring trade options, but they don't feel like they have to just trade them this summer to trade them. And so, you know, there may be that mutual interest there. I mean, it makes sense. French Canadian uh, plays a premium position center that, that the Canadians always seem to have a certain degree of need for. Um, you know, I, I think it's natural to make that link, but you know, it's not until two summers from now that Pierre-Luc Dubois will have the contractual ability to, to, to dictate that decision. I think, as you look backwards now, it's like, how do the Winnipeg Jets manage this situation? You know, he's indicated to them he doesn't want to sign a long-term extension in Winnipeg. And so how do you manage these two years? Do you have them play it out? Do you trade them somewhere in the middle? I think that that's what Kevin Chevaldeoff and the Jets front office 
have to work through. But it also doesn't mean he's getting trained in Montreal either. I mean, this is that there's, there's a real dance going on with this one, and, and it's hard to say how it will play out. But you know, perhaps another team steps up and, and makes a trade for him in the meantime. I mean, I think ultimately what's important to note is the Jets are more than happy to have him come play for them next season. So this this might be a story we're following over a period of months or even years versus you know a few more days. But you know, I, I, it makes sense to connect Dubois and the Canadians. But who knows if it'll ever happen? I mean, two years is an eternity in pro sports. And that's, you know, it's not till 2024 in July that, that he can uh, be eligible to, to choose his next destination completely on his own. And, and so now we just sort of get the popcorn ready and watch how these two years play out because, you know, I, I'm not clear this time where, where they're at, other than that, I don't think the Jets feel pressure to make that move today. I think that they're more than happy to have him back next year if, if there's not a good enough trade return in the meantime. It feels like Dubois is like the Canadian's white whale because there's been rumors about him uh, being in the eyes of the Canadians since like 2016. Like there, there was a rumor going around that like they were looking to offload PK Subban for Pierre-Luc Dubois at one point. That's like some of the going rumors back in my market. Like it just, this is not infatuation with this player, but it is interesting that like over the last like six years or so there have, this has just kind of gone on and it, it the, the rumors have sprung up again with this player. Well, it makes sense, right? Like I don't think any team likes having sort of a homegrown talent go somewhere else, especially when he plays a position where you have a need, like, like it's, it's almost the perfect storm, right? Um, you know, let's, if we go back to 2016 and you had Carey Price in that, let's say it was a French Canadian goaltender, it probably wouldn't be the same conversation because you had Carey Price. So of course you weren't wondering about that, but here you've had a center and, and look, he, he's been traded once, you know, he was unhappy in Columbus before getting traded to Winnipeg. And so he, there's been an ability, at least for the Canadians, to dream about that dream. You know, you're now in a new front office, though, by and large. So, you know, that that maybe changes things somewhat. But yeah, maybe there is a white whale aspect. I think I think it happens from time to time, though. You know, like we've been talking about Arizona wanting a certain player that was born in their backyard. You know, mm-hmm. Toronto did get John Tavares, but you know they went after Steven Stamkos the, the year prior. You know, those were homegrown elite level players. Like, I, I just think that it's natural to want to to bring those players home, so to speak, because of what they bring on the ice. But I think they bring some off ice things that that are, you know, whether it's marketability, um, you know, that, that make an organization feel good with with spending the amount of money you're going to have to spend. Because in, in every case, we're talking about pretty high end guys that, that you're going to have to, you know, outlay a fair amount of money to, to have on your roster. And to uh, wrap up this impromptu Habs corner, uh, quickly <laughs> your thoughts on Jeff Petrie getting traded to Pittsburgh. Well, interesting, right? Mike Matheson goes back, former client of Kent Hughes. So mm-hmm. you know, we always we always make the Kyle Dubas connections with the Sault Ste. Marie. Well, let's let's start char- charting former Kent Hughes clients that to end up in Montreal. Um, you know, I think it's a good deal for the Canadians in, in the sense that, you know, with Petrie, they, they tried to honor his trade request it was not going to be easy to move out that, that salary just because he, you know, he had a, he had a tough year last year. If you were making this trade a year prior, it's a totally different conversation, but, you know, trading that much salary while not retaining any salary uh, when a guy's, you know, on the, on the bad end of 30 and, and, you know, all the things that might give other teams pause is not easy. Uh, I think they did well here. You know, Matheson's, what, six years younger, seven years younger than Petrie. Um, and, you know, they, they did get out from under that weight. And they also honored a player that's, you know, gave Montreal a ton of good years. I mean, the fact that they got Jeff Petrie at a trade deadline at that point in time, you know, he was basically a rental and managed to sign him to two two different contract extensions, had a lot of success with them. I think I think they did right by the player, but they also made a move organizationally that that – makes sense and and we'll see you know with, with Matheson I think is a top four option for them um so that's that's beneficial he's younger and there is that personal connection so there's a comfort level there for management we continue with Canadian markets uh it seems as if most of these news and notes I have here are Canadian team related I want to talk about the Ottawa Senators and uh, uh the latest news with them just their off season they continue to do some stuff Josh Norris signing an eight-year extension worth 63.6 million uh good move bad move a move well, he's earned it he's earned it man like it's if you look at the comparables uh the numbers line up i think that this this does underscore though the challenges ottawa's under and we see this with other teams but so they've drafted or in the case of josh norris traded for 
you know, these prospects and they've, they've got this young group that everyone likes probably you got to start paying them that money so early in their career. And, and the team hasn't yet got off the ground, right? Like they haven't got to where they, they've had much success yet um, as a group. And now you're already into giving these, you know, they, they gave, you know, Brady Kachuk a big deal. Now Josh Norris gets a big deal. Now the hope of course, if you're in Ottawa's front office is the caps going up by 2024, 2025, you're going to get some extra breathing room that way. But the challenge of building a great team around these, these young talented players is, gets a little tougher, but, you know, I, I can't criticize the deal. I, I think that, you know, that's basically the sort of market he's looking at. Now the choice was, do you try to sign him shorter term or do you go the max length deal? They've, they've chosen the latter. And, you know, I think basically they bought the best years of his career at, at basically $8 million a year or a little bit less. And so organizationally, you look at that, he'll probably deliver value on that over those best years of his career. He's probably going to be tradable if you need to at some point in time because he's delivering value on his contract. And so I think for Ottawa, it's a good news story to get another young player who wants to stay there and wants to commit that term. You know, he, he and Brady Kachuk happen to be good friends. Brady signed a long-term deal. Thomas Shabbat signed a long-term deal a few years ago. I think that the, the they're turning the corner in Ottawa, um, but the time has come to win. And unfortunately, even as great as I think we all – can commend them on the summer they had. I, I think Pierre Dorian's done a nice job of, of taking some big swings for that team. It's, you know, in the Atlantic division, it's just going to be tough to crawl up to a, a playoff position. And that's, that's kind of the next goal because once you're paying these guys, you got to be getting that kind of value back. They still need a defenseman too. The Pierre Dorian's work this off season is not done. Yeah. There's no God fishing side on his office. He's, he's still in there grinding. I bet. Uh, for sure. Uh, let's go to the Leafs. Uh, Pierre Engvall re-upping and uh, Callie Yarncroft, or as uh, Marshawn Lynch once called him, boy, boy, Cal, or boy, boy, Callie, Callie. I forget. Yeah, boy, whatever. boy, Callie. Boy, boy, Callie. I think it was boy, boy, Callie, not boy, Callie, Callie. It, I think both could work, but boy, boy, Callie is probably what it is. Uh, thoughts on what the Leafs have done the last few days? Well, it feels like there's another shoe to drop. You know, that's that's my biggest takeaway is, um, signing Yarncroft for four years, that's a different sort of contract than, than Kyle Dubes has given out too. Like if, if you look at every other deal given to a skater, so I'm not counting uh, getting Matt Murray in, uh, who has two years left, but it was all one-year deals. Everyone from Jordy Ben to Victor Mete to Nicholas Obey-Kubel, um, you know, Adam Gaudet, even Pierre Engvall gets a one-year deal. I mean, the Leafs are clearly not wanting to tie up money too deep because, you know, after two more seasons, you're, you're going to be getting into the territory where Nylander needs a new deal. Some guy named Austin Matthews is going to have an extension kicking in at that Some point guy. in time. And so I think you, you don't want to hamstring yourself. I think that's informed a lot of the Leafs offseason. So, but it, it was notable to me that, that Yarncroft got four years because he's the only player signed three years from now other than John Tavares, Mitch Marner, and Morgan Riley. You know, very clearly, in the case of those three guys, core members of this team, you know, it sort of signals that Yarncroft is, you know, probably adjacent to the core. Uh, you know, he's a $2.1 million player. He's not in the same conversation as, as those players I mentioned, but, you know, they, they tells you how much they like him. I know that he, he spoke with uh, the Winnipeg Jets, for example, on a four-year deal, did Yarncroft. Uh, I believe there's some interest maybe in returning to Seattle. That didn't materialize, but he, he had a lot of different options. Uh, and, you know, the Leafs believe in him. Now you just feel like, who are they trading? Because, to make it work, to still have to sign Rasmus Sandin, who's a restricted free agent, uh, maybe still bring in some other depth forwards, I think is a possibility. It does feel as though someone on the current roster is probably gone, whether that's a Justin Hall, maybe Alex Kerfoot, you know, but, but you know, I, I do think they're going to have to create a little bit more cap space. And so I don't think Kyle Dubas' summer is done just yet either. He's uh, He and Pierre Dorian might be the only two GMs left working, but they're, they're still working the phones. What about if Kyle Dubas like swings for the fences for a move? I keep thinking that like he kind of has to do that, but maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to give you that clip because it would sell our pod really well, but yeah. I, I just I don't see I don't see a swing for the fences type of move. I, I think that you know there's it's more of a cap clearing move that needs to just to fit all these puzzle pieces together is needed. Now you got I gotta say, like when, when you go to Puckpedia. And you look at a team's cap room, like it's never totally accurate. And it's not because the site itself is wrong, but we just don't know at the bottom of a roster, which players make the team and which don't like, like the Leafs have a whole bunch of guys, you know, whether it's even existing players like Wayne Simmons or Kyle Clifford that are still signed, 
or even all those players I just mentioned, like they can all be sent to the American Hockey League with no cap charge. So we don't yet know how many of those players might be put on waivers, who's going to make the team. So it's not to say the Leafs don't have the room to keep everyone. It just it feels as though they got about eight or nine NHL defensemen now, and they have a whole bunch of bottom six forwards. Like I don't I don't know who's going to be there on opening night. Plus, you know, they have internal options like Nick Robertson and Joey Anderson, some other players that management has liked. Um, I, I I I see it as more there's just not room for everybody at the end right now to keep everyone happy. There's a lot of mouths to feed. So I, I don't think it'll be a big, you know, seismic change, but look, if that happens, I, I'm open to it. But I, I think realistically, we're just talking about shaving a bit of payroll to make everything fit different, to give the team a different complexion around the core. And, you know, there's been a lot of change here again in Toronto, you know, the, the core itself looks the same. So people will view it the same way, but they switched up both goaltenders the blue line is largely intact as it was, but I mean, there's, there's numerous changes in the forward group with Ilya Mikheyev moving on, Jason Spezza retiring, Andre Kasha moving on. And so, you know, this is still, a, this will be a different group. And, and I think they're still working through exactly how it's all going to fit together. One final news and note uh, before we get to uh, our last ask CJ for a while. Uh, I actually wanted to initially just use this spot to plug the last episode of the Steve Dangle podcast, where they actually just had Rick Westhead uh, in their studio for 30 minutes, just discussing everything he knows right now about the ongoing Hockey Canada scandal. Uh, as you all know, the uh, lawsuit facing them uh, with regards to uh, a woman alleging that uh, she was part, she was sexually assaulted by a, uh, a number of players from the 2018 World Junior Team. Uh, this morning, uh, one of the members of that team, Connor Timmons, who now plays for the Arizona Coyotes, released a statement over social media. I'll just read an excerpt here. I was not involved in any way in the incident that gave rise to the allegations that have been reported. No one alleges that I was present or involved, and I have no personal knowledge of what occurred. And what's happening now is people are starting to, I mean, people have been kind of already been doing this to this point, but we're starting to have a better sense of who has spoken out and said that they were not involved. There are at least six players who uh, have said that they were not involved uh, or said they didn't have any knowledge or have at least put out some kind of statement uh, denouncing themselves from what had happened. Um, yeah, it, I just my general thought on this is just that we're going to get to a point where whether by process of elimination or if someone says something during the reopened investigation, where we're going to figure out who the names of these players are. That's That's my belief. It would appear that way. I think there's pressure now on someone like Connor Timmons, for example, who, you know, says he wasn't involved. If you, if you weren't involved, you, you, you end up with some guilt by association until you put out those kind of statements. So, um, you know, I think that that's the dynamic of what you're seeing. I mean, the fact that everyone's going to have to participate in a further investigation, I think that there's, given the fact that this was initially sort of kept hush-hush, I think there's going to be a fair amount of pressure to, you know, release results of the investigation to a certain degree. And, and, ultimately there might be some penalties for, you know, the, the individuals involved. And so I don't, I don't know how it's all going to unfold Julian in terms of when we find out, but the, the walls are closing in a little bit here. And clearly the players that, that didn't have any involvement, I, I can understand why they would want to clear their name because there's, there's a, there's a huge cloud now over this entire team. Uh, a lot of people went and looked back at the roster and are, wondering, Hey, where's, what's this person's, what's this person, what's this person. And so um, I would, I would expect that Connor Timmons won't be the last player to put out that kind of statement. Exactly. Uh, and again, we will continue to follow the story as it goes on. And I recommend to everyone else, uh, please check out uh, the episode that uh, the Steve Dangle podcast just put out with Rick Westhead. It's only 30 minutes, I think a little less at that too. And it is absolutely worth your time. And with that, it is time for us to get to Ask CJ. Uh, we will do, uh, this is the last time we're doing this for a while. We're gonna, we may have that summer episode, uh, late summer episode coming for you uh, sometime soon. But uh, as you know, we're going to go on a little bit of a break. So this is the last opportunity uh, for people to get their questions in before we take some time off. Uh, let I me think we might have two more summer episodes. We're just, we're just done with yes. the regular... We're just done with the regular scheduled program, and we're just going to drop a couple there. So I hope you're still yeah. subscribed to whatever podcatcher you use to 
when we just drop a show in the middle of summer at some point. It's like um think of think of the the Lucy's we're gonna drop as as that, as Lucy's or like breadcrumbs. Right. But it's gonna be out of nowhere. It's just gonna be like a Tuesday in August. It's like bam, bam, we're back. Chris Johnston show is back. Let's get to this uh first question here. Uh, for the Ask CJ uh, segment of our show, uh, if my iPad can, uh, you know, actually cooperate with me. When I actually look down and I'm looking away from CJ off camera, it's not because I, d- I don't want to talk to you. It's because I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about or I know what I want to see. So I don't know if anyone ever wondered, but that's when I'm looking saying. away. I'm just looking like, where's my coffee cup? I need, I need this. <laughs> <laughs> I need this. My good, good coffee. You look like Davi the Elf from, from like Lord of the Rays. You're like, my coffee, my precious. <laughs> All right. Uh, from Alex Wake on Twitter. Have the Ottawa Senators done enough to get into the Eastern Conference wildcard conversation next season? Alex Wake. That's a familiar name. Oh, it is? He may be some relation to me. Oh, okay. Right. My brother-in-law. He's a big Senators fan. Oh, cool. <laughs> And it's funny because we've been texting a little bit over this period. And, and obviously he's pretty excited that Claude Giroux came home. We loved him to break a trade. I, I, I want to reserve my full comment to see what the blue line looks like, Alex. But I will say it's not great. You, you can create the circumstances where Ottawa pushes for a playoff spot this coming season. But I do think they're going to need to make some improvements on that back end still. And, and I know they intend to. It's just about what, what business they can get done what could happen there. But I think the senators have earned a measure of respect back just with the way they've operated this off season. I mean, they were already a team. If you remember that, that season two years ago in the Canadian division, were known for playing hard. They had a, they had a brutal start to that year, but they, they were, they made life difficult down a stretch. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of evidence that, that the players really play for DJ Smith. And so now they've got more talent in the lineup. It would only stand a reason they're going to have a better chance of success. But they still got to find a way to keep the puck out of their net. And, and that's not just on the goalies by any stretch. That's, that's on defensive play. And so, you know, DJ Smith is an old defenseman. I, I think he can do it, but you got to give him the horses to, to run with. So I'm not going to make a prediction today on July 18th that they're going to be a playoff team. But I, I am willing to concede that I can see the path to becoming one, depending on what the rest of the summer looks like for Pierre Dorian. I'll say it. They're going to be fourth in the athletic mixture. So you I'm think wild card spot? I think so. I think they're good enough for that. Are you? Are you? Is your top three still just Boston, Tampa, Toronto above them? My top three would be Tampa, Toronto, Florida. Oh, Florida, right? Yeah. So you're predicting Boston falls back? Yes. Yes. I'm already wow. comfortable enough making that decision. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I I feel confident enough to do it. I. You know, very early uh, predictions for next season, but uh, I feel pretty strong about that one. I'm okay if it's wrong. If it ends up being it's wrong, it's wrong. Hey, look, it's never too early for your hot takes. Just just throw the hot takes at us. Oh, God. I don't want this podcast to catch too much fire. Let's get <laughs> to the next question. Uh, from J-Rock Norton. Preferred seats if you are taking family or friends to a Toronto Blue Jays game? Okay. Depends if you have kids with you or something, because when you say family. Mm-hmm. My preferred seats is just get in the building and stand in the center field, uh, the flight deck, they call it. Uh, I, I love the standing room environment. I think it's actually pretty good. Like, obviously, you're a fair ways out there. You're at center field, but it's it's a pretty good vantage point to watch the game. There's usually great atmosphere in there. Um, I like standing, oddly. Like, I find sometimes when you're jammed in seats in the middle of a row, like, it's just less comfortable. People are coming and going. If you get a good spot at the rail, you can just kind of hang there and some freedom of movement. And so I really like the, the that standing room. Plus you're, you can get there. If you just buy the cheapest ticket in the building, you, you can go there. Like you're anyone's allowed in um, beyond that. If you want to splash out, I mean, anywhere kind of behind the dugout behind home plate is pretty cool too. But my, my, my usual go-to is just get in the building and, and go to center field. Uh, next one from Hockter, the love doctor. How ridiculous is the Wendy's strawberry frosty? I've never tried one. Oh, I've never had one either, actually. When I when I worked at Wendy's, I haven't talked about that a lot on the pod, but I was a two-time employee of the month uh, at Wendy's. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, uh, I worked there in, in high school as my sort of part-time job, and they only had chocolate frosties back in those days. 
I remember having to like clean out the frosting machine. It was quite a process at the end of each day, but um, haven't tried a strawberry frosty. I have nothing bad to say about that that restaurant, but it's probably been years since I've eaten there. It's definitely been years. I don't remember the last time I ate there. So I, I'm not I'm not up on the latest Wendy's uh, comings and goings. Okay, so save some of that for the summer episodes. The the two Lucys will drop because uh, you know, I'm sure you have a very funny Wendy story in you. I've actually got a few. I mean, it depends what you find funny, but I I've got a few that that stand out. I mean, I actually loved that job as a teenager. Like it was it was hard in my town at the time. There wasn't a lot of part time work. Like we did when I grew up, there wasn't like a lot of chains there. So it was it was actually difficult to get a job. And so when I got that job, I loved it. It was another group of friends. We all palled around together. It was it was a lot of fun um, and some calamity and craziness too. So yeah, I'll, I'll share a few stories. There's a few I have in mind right now. There's one last question for Ask CJ. And depending on how this question goes, I might have this as an extended segment for uh, one of the two shows we do in the oh, summer. Wow. This is a question for off of Discord from dfizzle182. Chris... Since you don't follow pop culture and relevant movies, what do you think the plot of these movies are? Us, Promising Young Woman, and Free Guy. So give me like a one-sentence guess. Are those three different shows? Those are three different movies. Us, Promising Young Woman, and Free Guy. Oh, man. Us is a romantic tale of a couple that found each other uh, i don't know us yeah us feels like a romance a romance rom-com i'm going with that okay i'll i'm gonna read the the one-line descriptions on imdb i've also seen the movie us you couldn't be more far off Uh, a family serene beach vacation turns to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them okay i was a little off on that one what was the next one okay promising young woman is the next one Promising young woman is the story of a woman who had talent that no one could see, who moved to New York City and became really famous. Okay. Uh, Again, I think you're far off. Uh, A young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Yeah, I was a little off. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last one. Free guy. Free guy. It's about someone who spends a life in jail and has a lot of time to think about how they would spend their, that year when they got out. And it follows that year after being released from jail. Wow. This, this sounds like a gritty, like, like Oscar bait type of movie. Yeah. Uh, I got to say, uh, you are once again incorrect. A bank teller discovers that he's actually an NPC, a non-playable character, inside a brutal open-world video game. Ryan Reynolds is in this movie. Wow, good Canadian boy. Yeah, pretty good Canadian boy. All right, I liked how that went down. Uh, Let us know in the comment section if you like that segment too. I think we're going to bring this back definitely in some form uh, for the summer episodes because that was hilarious. It's like it's like a (laughs) game of Balderdash or something. You know what I mean? You're trying to like come up with the definition. What is Balderdash? Oh, it's a fun game where you get crazy words and you got to come up with a definition that's plausible and then everyone votes if it's the real definition or not. Anyway, it's sort of like that. It's like you're trying to trying to come up with a plot for a movie. It's hard based on a title. That is true. But you did it. You found a way to guess for all three, even if you weren't necessarily close to all three. Uh, but hey, that's the fun of Ask CJ. We get random hockey questions, but also random pop culture fun questions. And you do your Absolutely. best with them. Exactly. And with that, that's going to do it for uh, the CJ show until we come back whenever we come back. CJ, we, we the regular programming of shows has been completed. How, how do you feel? You excited? You happy? You, you content? 89 of these bad boys? Yeah, Alex McGillney, a nice tour around the NHL. That was pretty fun. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited that we're coming back. Like I, I think that that's why... There's not like any negative emotion tied to this. There's no like wistfulness. It's more just, I think everybody needs a break from time to time. I was actually mm-hmm. walking the other day down the street in Toronto and a guy like points to me. He's like, Hey, I love the pod. And 
I just thought how cool that is. Like, like we kind of created something from nothing and to the point you can just be strolling on a random night and a stranger's, you know, likes what we're doing. So I appreciate all the strangers out there. I appreciate all the friends out there that have been downloading and listening to our episodes that have liked our content that are supporting us and are giving us a reason to keep getting to 90 episodes and beyond. And we're going to be back and better than ever in September full time. And in the meantime, there'll be two, two sort of mystery episodes that are still to come. Uh, we're workshopping some ideas, but uh, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be a good summer now and uh, be ready to, to go at it again in September. It sounds like a plan. And uh, thank you to everyone again, just echoing CJ sentiments. Thank you to everyone who's watched, listened to this episode, just, or just all of our episodes and, and just enjoying our show. Uh, it is a pleasure to do these episodes every week. And uh, it's great to know that people are fans of this show. It means the world to both of us and producer Nick. And thank you to producer Nick for all the work that he's done as our producer of this show. Uh, Jesse Blake started off as our producer, but then he had other things to do. Uh, we're kidding. We love producer Jesse, obviously. He does great stuff with the SDP and for the SDPN. Uh, but we just love the fact that we have Nick just working full time with us, too. So, uh, yeah, dude, everybody on the show, everyone at the SDPN, everyone who watches, follows the SDPN, bigger and better things are coming. CG, do you have any other final words before we wrap up? No, it's been surreal, bud. It's been so much fun. Thanks to you for being a great partner. And uh, we had, we had a lot of fun this year, honestly, like I, uh, that's my only thought like this, it's a job technically, but it doesn't feel like work. And so that's, that's, I think the best thing I can say about what this first year of experience has been like. And I just hope we can keep that energy going into season two. Through uh, 89 episodes, I can also confirm this has never felt like a job. And it is an absolute pleasure and an honor to uh, host the show and work with someone like yourself, CJ. Thank you so much. And uh, for CJ, I'm Julian. So long. We'll be back later in the summer. And uh, it'll be fun. I promise you that. Yeah! The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.